guys, it's Britt Dowd, and welcome to the Lawn Care Leaders Podcast, where every week we bring you episodes to positively and intentionally impact not only your business, but your leadership, communication, and personal life. Yes, we talk about mowers, fertilizer, and irrigation, but we put an emphasis on growing you as a leader and growing your business skills. We do this through interviews with other small business owners, growth segments where we dive deep on a micro business topic, and documented episodes from our own seven-figure business, Green Again Lawn. All right, lawn care leaders, turn your headphones up. It's time to get back at it. Hey guys, thank you for joining us today. I am super excited. We have a, I I say the word unique a lot. I've noticed that listening back to some of my episodes, but this is a unique one. We are the Lawn Care Leaders Podcast, and thus we talk a lot about lawn care, recurring revenue, recurring maintenance. A lot of times we can get into applications pretty heavy in lawn programs, but today we are joined by none other than Mike Pletz, How to Hardscape. He has a podcast as well, the How to Hardscape podcast. We're going to hear his story and talk heavy hardscaping, paver patios. Let this guy share his expertise with us. So before we jump right in and I hand the mic off to uh, Mike, (laughs) um, I'm going to tell you guys a couple of things here, just a couple of reminders. If you are joining us and coming over as a new listener, from Brian Fullerton's podcast. We had an ad spot on his podcast. Number one, we want to say thank you for joining us. And number two, we want to make sure that you leave a review on Apple Podcasts and put your name in there for our giveaway from Cujo. They're giving away a free pair of shoes. Ballard Products is giving away a safety kit and Jobber is giving away a swag bag. So leave an Apple review. If you're not on Apple, all you got to do is screenshot whatever you're listening on, post it on IG or Facebook and use the hashtag lawn care leader. So do that, and then next, text us. Text 913-357-5947. After I hop off this call, I'm actually getting ready to send out a personal text message to those of you guys that are joining us for some behind-the-scenes action. Going to send an audio message, an update, and uh, maybe even a vacation picture from this past week. I'm just now getting back from, from vacay. So without further ado, Mike, how are you doing out there, my friend? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on the show. This is great. Yeah, I'm 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 happy to happy to have you. So you are where at in Canada? I feel like us uh, here in America, we just say Canada and then that's it. But where specifically are you at in Canada? <laughs> I'm out of Toronto, Ontario. Okay, okay. So you're not you're not too yeah. far then. Not too far. How how far is that not from uh, Novi, Michigan, where I was just at? Oh man, that's just a hop, skip, and a jump away. That's like probably three to five hour drive. I don't know for sure, but something like that. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Mike, tell us, give us a little background on who you are. Give us an idea of your personal life and give us your, give us your elevator speech. Give us a three minute elevator speech here. Yeah, so uh, personally, uh, I am a married man living in Toronto. I started in the 
I guess, hardscape industry specifically back in 2007. Mm -hmm. I started working for a dealer. That's where I learned my stuff. Uh, Like everybody, I started working on the side. Things got to a point where I had to choose between continuing working there and starting my own business. And of course, I started my own business and that's been going strong for about four years now. Okay. Uh, And what's the the name of your business? The name of the business is Ever After Landscaping. Okay. Yeah. And uh, within that time, it was, uh, I'd always had this idea to start something to get more information out, to be uh, very transparent within the industry and within business owners. And that's where How to Hardscape came in. And that started in 2019 as a podcast platform. Mm -hmm. as well as a website just to get this information out there to interview like-minded people and uh, just to create a community within the industry. Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. Well, Mike, let's go, let's go back a little further and I want to get, I want to give you a platform to talk about the how to hardscape podcast, but why don't, why don't you tell us a little more, a little more depth. So you worked on, you worked for another company doing hardscaping, but what made you take the jump into running your own company? And uh, for a lot of guys out there, that that jump is it's a huge gap. They they want to they want to bring the boat closer. They're scared. They're nervous. What made you take the jump? And then what barriers to entry are different in hardscaping as opposed to maybe your your typical landscape job or lawn care maintenance? Yeah, so I I worked for a dealer, so it was a little bit different than actually working for a hardscape company. So I was supporting contractors, I was putting together orders uh, initially, and my my experience with installs came within that first week of starting. So I started, and the dealer that I was starting for was redoing their displays in front of their office, and they had a contractor that they work with come in and start doing that on the weekends and they needed me well they asked me if I wanted to come in on the weekend and also support that contractor in the install so my experience my love for the industry started right there and just asking questions to this contractor learning as much as I can on the spot and that's kind of when I knew uh, I wanted to install throughout this time this was uh, also a time when I was in university So uh, working on the side allowed me a little bit more money to be able to afford that. And, uh, but this is, this is a a long, a long time I was working for this company. I was working for them for seven, eight years before I actually took that leap. And what prompted that leap is tough to say. I guess I got to a point in time in my life where I had to choose what I was going to do for the rest of my life or at least for the mid to long term. And I definitely just didn't see myself working for that dealer long term, uh, as good as they were to me. I also knew that the money that I was bringing in from these side jobs was more than the money that I was making at this company itself. So it didn't make sense for me to stay there financially even. And uh, that, that being said, I was working there 56 hours a week. So I was working there Monday, Friday for 10 hours a day, Saturday, six hours a day. And then that remainder of the time on the weekend, 
And whatever I could scrounge up on the weekday nights was what I was putting towards these installs. So really, I was working on these installs a fraction of the time and I was making more money. So it didn't make sense for me to continue at that dealer. And that that was my jumping off point. And that's that's what I do recommend to people who have a job and start in the middle somewhere. And like you said, get that boat closer to the dock before you jump. Very smart. Very smart. I love that you didn't leave your cash flow stream, your your existing cash flow stream from the vendor. You just use that as leverage to then go and build something on the side. And and what you're talking about is opportunity cost. The 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 opportunity that you are missing missing out on by not doing these other jobs and not taking the leap was, was huge. It, it, it far outweighed you just staying where you were at. And but on the flip side of that, you, you wouldn't have had that leverage. You wouldn't have had that margin if you wouldn't have stayed with that company for that long. And I, I think it's really cool. And it speaks to learning a trade as well. I, I think a lot of young guys that come into the industry, they think, I'm just going to get in here. I'm going to grow a business. It's going to be great. I'm going to sell it or I'm going to scale it and go sit on a beach somewhere. And really, you have to first start as a technician. You, you have to first start... Uh, with a love for what you're doing and you have to get good at it. So that that's my question to you, Mike, is in the beginning, and, and I'm thinking for our listeners right now, but in the beginning, what was it that made you love hardscaping? Because I, I, I was wondering that in my mind. I'm like, well, he, he has this job. Is it is he just there? And then he started doing his own thing because he was there. But it sounds like you really developed a love for it. What what was that? Was it, do you have a story or what, what made you develop a passion for hardscaping? That, that first job that you did, what did you love so much about it? Yeah. I, you know what? It's, it's difficult to say. It's difficult to put it into words per se, but um, you know, with my first install outside of what I was doing at work came when my manager came to me and said, Hey, I need some help on the weekend here this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be laying a, uh, a driveway basically. So that was my first experience outside. So it's not like I asked that contractor questions initially and then just started one day going out and doing this. So it was a, an eventual gradual shift towards me doing it on the side by myself mm-hmm. through these different experiences and through the years that I worked at this dealer and, and learning as much as I could and soaking it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I up until that point in my life, I hadn't had this hands-on construction-based um, experience in my life. So I think, and I, and I had no idea about the hardscape industry up until then. And I think that all of a sudden, that exposure to equipment, to uh, this hands-on creating something from basically nothing. And seeing that that final product from that wasn't there initially, I think that's what the major draw was, as well as um, the design process in terms of that. And honestly, I love so much about being a business owner, from communicating with the customer and to designing to the actual install process. To understanding my financials, um, there's not much in business ownership that I don't like. And I think all of that draws on what you were asking me is, you know, what what was what made me fall in love with this industry is 
everything. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. It's, that's not uh, too general of an answer. Oh, that's great, man. That's great. I, I love what you said about creating something from nothing because I think a lot of business owners, we, somewhere deep inside of us, we have that. We have that that creative knack. We have that dreamer mentality. We're always pushing the envelope. We're, we're always striving for more. And the, the high, the satisfaction that we get of starting something within our own company or starting a company. And it's just like, it's just kind of the, it's kind of the, the, the dream, the carrot in front of us that it's like, yes, I'm creating something from nothing, but it's also, it's, it has no cap on it. Like the potential is limitless. And so you can, you can look at that through the hardscape lens and the small business lens. Like this, this is what I make it. Like this, whatever Mike makes this project is going to be, it's going to be new. It's going to be me and the opportunity is limitless. And and the same goes for mm-hmm. small business. And that that's what I love about it. I think that's, I think that's a fantastic answer. Well, Mike, I want to know this. What, what do you feel is the biggest fear for most business owners about getting into hardscaping? I'd say the biggest fear is just based out of not having the right knowledge behind it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say, you know, when I started my business, I started with no money. Um, and so that prompted me to, when I started my business, to start in the lift and relay space, which is basically going in and fixing people's mistakes. So I think if you have fear about, doing hardscapes, uh, you are in the right mindset to start doing hardscapes. And what I mean by that is if you have that fear, that is hopefully going to either prompt you to not start a hardscape division in your company. And I don't think that's the right way to go. If you want to, if you want to, you should pursue it. And if you're a business owner, you're more likely to pursue it. So that's going to prompt you to go out there, get that knowledge, get that experience and pursue it and do it. So, and so you're uh, saying you fear, fear is, you're saying fear is good. You, you don't want to be nonchalant yeah. about it. Exactly. Cause if you don't have that fear and you just hop into it willy nilly and mm-hmm. you just throw down pavers, you're going to be part of the problem with these jobs, not holding up and you uh, not holding your end of the bargain when it comes to dealing with a customer. You don't want to be that company, you know, offering just a one-year warranty or no warranty on your work because you know that what you did is not going to hold up for, for years to come. Or, uh, you know, yeah, you summed it up perfectly there. Fear is good because that's going to prompt you to go out there and do a good job for your customer through getting that education, through getting that experience, and through not overselling yourself to the customer. Hmm. Not overselling yourself to the customer. This is good, Mike. This is good. Well, okay. So, so scare us a little bit. Give us a, give us a, give us a horror story. What, what's, what's a situation that you've gotten into with, whether it be in your business or maybe you saw it when you were on the retail side of maybe a guy jumped into it too early or maybe he bit off more than he could chew or he just didn't do his due diligence on educating himself uh, because here's here's what here's what I'm picturing, Mike, and I, I can see myself completely 100% doing this. I'm a doer. 
I'm fast paced. I'm creative. I'm, I'm just like, let's just knock down some walls. No, no pun intended, but let's just knock down some walls, pick up the pieces and do better the next day. And it, it's great for recurring contracts. It's great for adding scale. And, you know, uh, with us, we're, we're on a property six to eight times per year. And it's small jobs. It's 50 to $75 shots each time. And that's great. But that can get you into trouble when you've got something that's very detailed, construction heavy, and, you know, you mess something up. It's not like you just burned, a, a you know, a, a part of a lawn. So I, want, I, I would like you to hopefully share a story, scare us a little bit, and make that guy that is just a doer, wanting recurring revenue, make him slow down a little bit and focus on the details, focus on, hey, this is a technical skill. This is, there's a layer of education that you need to fulfill before getting into this. Yeah, and I think this starts with saying that you can gradually get into this industry. It doesn't have to be right away you're getting into the full package outdoor living space, you know, huge construction, you can tiptoe into this industry with starting with these lift and relays, like I said, that have very minimal overhead expenses, especially when you already have overhead expenses in terms of your lawn care, maintenance, landscape business. And you don't want to, you know, start buying new equipment and, and all the stuff that comes with these larger scale projects. So you can tiptoe your way into this industry get the experience slowly and build up to what you want to be, what you want your business to be. But in terms of these, you know, horror stories, I worked for a dealer for a long time. I seen businesses come and go like you wouldn't believe. I've seen, you know, um, customers come back to me and say, this, this contractor, uh, he or she wasn't up to the challenge of, of doing this my money, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, if, if you're a customer, first and foremost, they should be seeking out reputable companies and they should be seeking out referrals. So if you are going with somebody that's not a referral that you don't know anything about, you do get in that risk, risky territory of, of getting somebody that's wrong. And and in one case that brings me to the, the, the scary story. One of the scariest stories that I've, heard, been a part of, seen for myself, is uh, one year I was working for the dealer in this uh, this partnership. These two guys, they definitely didn't seem legit, uh, nice and everything. You know, I, I don't know if they meant well or not. I can't get into so much like that. But one at one of their projects, I heard that their skid steer had flipped Cooking out a customer's fence in the backyard. Uh, it turns out the guy had been drinking a little bit on the job. Uh, that, you know, in itself is horrible to hear. Fast forward a couple of years later, this is when I had actually started my business. Customer calls me up and says, Hey, I really need to take a look at my driveway, take a look at my retaining wall. Uh, these guys that did it a couple of years prior, they did a horrible job. It looks horrible. Can you come out and take a look at it? I said, Sure go out there and it's the worst thing I've ever seen Mm. to date. The driveway looks like waves in it up and down. And like, I'm talking a one foot differential in terms of the bottom of the rut to the top of the rut. 
My. Which is a huge trip factor. Um, it's, like a, it's like a speed the, hump. The driveway, <laughs> yeah, the driveway itself uh, angled towards the garage. Like, you know, then you need a channel drain in front of it. Proper drainage in, in order to ensure that that water is not going into the garage. But because of the pressure of how much these pavers have moved, had crushed that channel drain. So oh. now water was making its way into the driveway and causing issues for the homeowner. And not to mention that the the seven foot retaining wall had bowed into the house about six inches to a foot, so that was failing. And a seven oh, foot wow. retaining wall needs to be engineered; it needs proper approval. This hadn't been done, and they'd done pro- uh, like their retaining walls in the back. Walk like this was this was a big job. These people were in over their heads, and I found out that people that did it was those guys that I had talked about initially there that flipped the skid steer and this was the job that they flipped the skid steer on and everything so it came full circle in in terms of that story that is wild oh yeah yeah yeah. that's what that's what every homeowner is freaked out about you know they're thinking is this is this a knucklehead contractor going to be that guy Man, that is and nuts. And so, uh, and so, walk us through the the rest of the story. Did you did you land the job? Did you take care of them? How did you handle it? No. So at that time, that was my first year in business, and I I knew exactly where my business fit in the market. And uh, starting with no money, I didn't want to get into these big projects. And yeah. that retaining wall was. Like I, I would have done only three feet and under because that doesn't need to be engineered, doesn't need stamp drawings. Uh, that that retaining wall in itself was I would have been in over my head mm. at, at that t- time in my business. So I had connections in terms of you know my network that I built for working with that dealer. I knew contractors that I could hand off the job to, and they in turn would hand me projects that were too small for them. So I knew where I fit into the market. Uh, so that retaining wall in itself put me way in over my head. I could have done the driveway. Driveway is actually uh, quite an easy project to take on, especially when you're first starting, because you're not worried about slopes. You've got the slope already figured out. It's the oh. top of the driveway base to the sidewalk. That's your slope. Easy to lay. So driveway would have been no problem, but because it was a full package, you know, driveway retaining wall, didn't make sense for me. So I just handed that off and I told them, Hey, I'm sorry to hear about your story, but this is the contractor that I recommend for this job because yeah. they're suited to take on this work. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's smart on your part too. It, it, it's cool that you, you said, Hey, this is, this is what we are. This is what we aren't. And even though I, I could use the money, we're, we're not going to get into it. All right. So what, what's crazy, Mike is I, I'm sitting here and I have no idea anything about hardscaping. And so as you talk at what seems like a level three, um, to me, it's a level 10. And so I want to do that for our listeners. I want you to come up with a couple more tips if you can, just right off the cuff. We haven't prepared for this, so I know I'm putting you on the spot, but like just a couple things you just said is like three feet and under doesn't need to be engineered. That's, that's a really good tip for a lawn care guy that doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, the driveway is a good place to start because there's already a slope there. It's not a hard job. So if you could, if you have a couple more tips like that of just maybe common sense stuff to you, but just practical things, practical advice to give our audience, um, I would I would be much appreciated if you could. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when I say three feet and under doesn't need to be engineered, that is specific to my area. Okay. Uh, so that might change from area to area, but three feet and under is a pretty good uh ballpark in terms of what it looks like from what I've seen in the industry mm-hmm. around uh, you know all of our regions and, and whatnot and why why uh, is that is that, mean, that is that just a, a, a hazard falling hazard is it a soil erosion thing what is that it just comes down to the building code okay. so uh, obviously the higher you go with a retaining wall the more uh, risk that you take on is the mm-hmm. more it the more, as you go higher with a retaining wall, you need to take into factor the surcharge, the force behind that retaining wall and pushing it forward, what that is. Uh-huh. And you need to account for drainage and you need to account for what the setback on those blocks is going to be to give you that specific batter on the wall, that, that angle that's going to give it a little bit more support, as well as in between the layers, the geogrid, this uh, polyurethane mesh in between that gives it the support that goes back into the, into the drainage stone. So all of this, uh, maybe I'm getting like in over my head with no, what I'm explaining, good. but, but, uh, all, all of that needs to be factored into when I say three feet and over, you're getting into all of these things. Mm. Whereas three feet and under, you might need just one layer of geogrid and you definitely need that drainage stone no matter what it behind the wall, but it's a little bit more easy. So I think that's three feet and over is where the building code comes into effect okay. to ensure that, you know, these contractors aren't getting in over their head. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. Well, what other, what other little tips of advice can you give like that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, driveways are really simple you can get really creative with them they usually come with a front entrance as well uh-huh. they are easy because like i said the slope is already predetermined you're not worried about drainage like a backyard patio uh the only thing is driveways typically need to be excavated a little bit more a little bit more base prep so when i was starting out and i didn't have that equipment i would either rent that equipment and run bins get that that driveway excavated or alternatively you can subcontract that excavation and base prep out. So I'm still left with that completed base for me. I show up, I screed, and I lay. Hmm. So it's a, it's a great way to get into the industry and to be building your portfolio in terms of the work that you're doing. Um, other things, you know, lift and relays are a great way to get into the industry as well. Basically, customer calls you up and says, this is what I'm you know, left with after this many years. What can you do for me? And it could be as simple as picking up stones and relaying them. It could be as big as uh, full replacement. So it kind of gives you the option as to where you want to take that with the customer. And, and that and you literally don't have to have any equipment, like. right? Like you're, you're, you're literally just extracting those pavers putting them to the side and I'm assuming you're, you're resurfacing, re-leveling everything and then putting it back in. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's why it's such a great way to get into the industry because it could just mean something as simple as certain areas. It could mean the whole thing picking up, uh, re-screening and laying it back down. It could mean that, you know, you might look like you have to redo the base mm. depending on how poorly it was done. If it, if it was done last year and it looks like, uh, waves, then you know what? It, it definitely needs a, a base redone. And if you're not suited for that, subcontract out that, that base prep 
and you come in and screen and lay, you're still doing basically a lift and relay. It also also offers up an opportunity for that upsell to say, hey, I'm already doing this base prep. I'm already picking up these stones and relaying them for three to five dollars a square foot more. You have a brand new patio. You just yeah. have to buy new pay rates, right? Yeah. If they're already going through that, might as well spend that three to five dollars a square foot more. Get yourself a brand new patio with updated stone and whatnot. So oh, man, lots cool. of opportunities in terms of that lift and relay. Cleaning and sealing is definitely a market that is untapped for so many regions that I've gone to. Uh, a lot of hardscape companies don't try not to do the clean and seal, uh, don't offer it to their customers. So it provides you an opportunity to call up these hardscape companies and say, hey, do you guys do clean and seal? Well, I do. This is what uh, you can you know, refer me to your, to your customers if they want that. Uh, that's also a great opportunity to mm. network with other contractors to offer them your services or to, you know, get get your name out there in terms of customers. That's good, uh, man. Mike. This is this is really good. I, I I love I love the networking with subcontractors, and and just plugging yeah. yourself, inserting yourself into the conversation, saying, "Hey, this is what I do. What do you do? How can we create a win win situation?" The other thing, like the lift and relay is just like, that is so intriguing to me. Like that's, that's huge. Like if you want to get into hardscaping, I I just feel like that is a really, really good way to flex the muscle because it's, it's low risk. It's easy entry. And the other thing is like, you can train your team to, Hey, is there hardscaping there? Make a note on the account, snap a picture. What does it look like? And try to upsell the lift and relay. It's just, it's, I love that. I, I love that for the mm-hmm. recurring maintenance guy because I feel like that's how his brain works. And he can also, it's a low risk way to see if he truly wants to do it or not. And uh, maybe mm-hmm. make a little extra cash in the process. That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you said, that's the best way to get into it. Uh, in terms of, uh, I was going to say something else there about lift and relay, but it escaped me. But the last thing I do, I do want to talk about is the materials that you should be using for your base and uh, stone dust or crusher on whatever you might call it. It's basically these fine chips all the way down to dust. Uh, it's been used widely in the industry uh, for a long time for the past 10, 15 years. I don't know what it is. But definitely, it's a no, no to use. Definitely don't use that material. And it's it's big in our industry to not be using that. It voids manufacturer warranty. So the manufacturers don't stand behind it. And what is so it? What is it called again? Stone dust. Uh, you know, people call it crusher run. It's basically fine chips, like quarter inch chips, all the way down to fines, like uh, dust. And what it does is it compacts to the point of basically not allowing for water to drain right through it. And it causes uh, lots of issues in Mm. terms of uh, the pavers deteriorating, efflorescence, that white uh, Mm. mineral coming through within the surface. And it avoids manufacturer warranty. So you're already doing your customer disservice in terms of using it. It's just something that's been used in the industry for so long that people just continue using it. And it's just something that if you are getting into hardscapes, don't use it. Um, and, and that comes down to, I, I remember what I was going to say about lifting relays. It's big here because we experienced such a, uh, so many fro- uh, frost feedings 
in the winter and through the winter because you know we're in Canada. So uh-huh. listen, relays huge here in terms of you know these paver bases not being prepared properly and they're failing. Uh, so in in southern states, you know you're not going to see that lift in the relay market being so popular. Hmm. But if you are in that area where you do experience these frost zones and these seedings, uh, it's going to be definitely in, uh, part of the market that does go untapped for sure. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Explain that a little further. Why why in the north regions are are the stones moving a lot more? I guess I'm fill that gap for me. Yeah, for sure. So basically, if the base isn't prepared properly for yeah. it to drain, yeah, uh, that water is just going to stick. And so you're just saying there's a lot, there's a lot, uh, a lot more water issues in the north regions between yeah. snow, rainfall. Okay. Because when that water freezes, it's yep. going to just pop up those pavers, right? Okay. Okay. Now I'm with you. Now I'm with you. Okay. Perfect, man. Perfect. Sorry. You can obviously tell I'm ignorant with this stuff. Okay. The, the other question no, I had no. while you were talking about it, I, I'm just kind of worried for our audience too, is what, like, what special insurance do you need as you get into these smaller jobs? You know, you're doing three feet and under, you're doing... Uh, lift and relays, ceiling. What do you need special insurance? You know, um, talk to an insurance broker, but uh, what I can just say is get your 2 million minimum liability insurance. Get, uh, you know, there's designers insurance. I, I don't know exactly what it's called, but you know, if you're designing in terms of drainage, and what what goes into drainage and everything, you're going to want that insurance because what if you do it wrong or yeah. there's an unforeseen mistake and it causes their basement to flood? Yeah. Do you want that? I, I don't know the exact name of that insurance, but you want that insurance. Yeah. There's other things like um, underground obstruction clauses in your contract so that you, know, you don't know exactly what's underneath the yard mm-hmm. when you're excavating. So if you come across a, if you're digging and you come across boulders or a, for some reason, a massive poured concrete pad that needs to come out in order for you to get your depth of, of, of base prep, you want that clause in there because otherwise that's coming out of your pocket. And that can yeah. be huge in terms of what you're getting into to remove that. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really good insight there. Really, really good insight, especially for guys doing it in their first few years. Man, and, and uh, back to the insurance, have you ever had to use, have you ever taken out a claim on anything? No, uh, knock on wood, not just yet at, in my business. Well, good. Not. Hopefully I don't jinx you. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, okay, so next question I have for you, Mike, is we all, we all hear somebody that says like, oh, I have a guy or oh, I have a guy that, that can do this. And so- what pitfalls can you you help guys out with? Maybe help them avoid a couple pitfalls. Like, oh, I have a guy that does hardscaping now. We're going to get into that. What may what may be a few things that he's not thinking about before he just lets that guy that is, and usually it's newly hired, you know? This is lawn and landscape mm-hmm. and there is turnover. So he's been with the company, what, 12 to 24 months. So the, oh, I have a guy and now he's starting a new department. What pitfalls should he should he avoid and look out for? Well, you know, I'm a big fan as a business owner to know 
about something, to educate myself about something before I start do or before I sort of pass that responsibility to somebody in my business mm-hmm. or to pass that responsibility and outsource that. So for example, if I know nothing about, let's say Facebook ads and I outsource that to somebody and they, they have full range to take advantage of me to, you know, do something that and say, you know, this is what happens. Cause I don't know. I don't, I'm not educated on it. I don't know. Uh, so in my business, if I'm doing something or I'm going to outsource something or I'm going to pass the responsibility to somebody, it's my duty as a business owner to educate myself on that so that I know what to look for. So it comes down to education first and then to say, and then to go to that somebody that you have a guy for and say, and just pick his, pick his or her brain and understand what their, their methods of installation look like mm-hmm. and what that means to you in your business and what that means in what you've educated yourself with. I think, yeah, I think that is a fantastic answer, Mike. I, I couldn't agree more, especially running a small business. You, you're wearing every hat. You need to have your finger on the pulse of everything. And, and you do need to actually take the car for a test run and see how it drives before you just put somebody in the front seat of something that has your brand name on it and let them take off um, who knows where. So I think that's awesome. Absolutely. Well, Mike, I, I really do appreciate you sharing your story and loved hearing just the the jump from retail and the passion and love that was developed for hardscaping and how that's played out in, in your own business. And I know... I know for me, I've already, I've already learned a ton in the few short minutes we've been talking here. And so hopefully it'll help some of those lawn care guys out there, or maybe somebody's doing some uh, light hardscaping already. And this just gives them the lights a spark to blow it up in 2021. So I appreciate you joining us, Mike. Hey, Britt, I appreciate you having me on the show. This was awesome. It was great to talk to you and I'm looking forward to having you on my show. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of your show, why don't you tell the audience where they can find you, where they can further the conversation, and give your podcast a plug as well. I appreciate that. You can find everything at howtohardscape.com. Got all our socials there that you can go check out. You can find our podcast links there. We talk with industry leaders, industry experts, business owners on that podcast every Monday. A new episode is released. We have over 60 articles now on the website in terms of installation, in terms of growing your hardscape business, in terms of growing your business in general. This isn't just applied to hardscaping. It's applied to, I'd say, the green industry as a whole. Some of these business articles are resources that you can check. Hey, Brent. Hey, you broke you, you broke up on me. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I don't know what happened there either. <laughs> it broke up once, and then it oh, just so. dro- it just dropped completely. Sorry about that. All right, so so check out <laughs> no, the web check out the website, guys. The other thing is, a lot of our listeners are on Instagram. Um, go follow How to Hardscape on IG, and then click on his link tree. Uh, he's got all the links to 
every available resource right there for you. And uh, like I said, Mike, thank you for joining us and thank you for sharing your story, my friend. Thank you. All right, we'll see you. Hey guys, that is a wrap on yet another episode of the Lawn Care Leaders Podcast. Thanks again for letting us hang out with you and we appreciate you hanging out with us. Please subscribe, leave us a rating and review. And if you found this at all helpful, please help us by sharing the podcast. And uh, we wish that you would continue this conversation. If you want to chat it up about some topic that happened or maybe you have further questions, you can find us over on Instagram, Facebook. Um, We're going to be posting YouTube and uh, LinkedIn content as well. So you can find us on almost any platform. And if you'd like to further uh, grow your business or find out more information about Intentional Growth Advisors or one of our other show sponsors, feel free to click the link in the show notes and you can see those there. Again, guys, thank you so much for joining us and we will be back with you again shortly.